0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, Luke 4. I'm moving back a little bit in our study of Luke. I thought this would be appropriate for the Lord's Supper, and it just kind of crystallized in my mind as I was, uh, actually I was reading Matthew in my own personal devotional reading, and I was reading about the temptation of Jesus, and and I was like, well, I I know I skipped that in Luke, but I'm going to go back and look at it. Uh, because I think it will really uh, minister to us uh, on this Lord's Supper uh, morning and uh, be an encouragement to our faith today. And uh, and I think I can do it a little more concisely because uh, we have a full service this morning, full service service. Well, let's hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil... And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, temptation is something that is a part of everyone's life on earth. No one is immune from it, not even Jesus himself. And I find it interesting that people don't talk about temptation as much as they used to in our culture today. And I think that's because people have just given in to temptation and no one really calls anything wrong these days. But Jesus' temptation is something that, from which we can get great encouragement. And uh, I want to give you three things today, three things that I think we can be encouraged in our faith from Jesus' temptation. First, the pattern of Jesus' temptation. Then Jesus' response to the temptation. And then finally, The victory over Jesus. The victory he secured in overcoming temptation in his life. Well, first we see a pattern here that I want to point out to you. Satan comes to him three times as he's there in the wilderness fasting 40 days. Can you imagine that? I can't because I I can hardly go a meal without, you know, miss a meal is tough enough. We've been on this diet plan uh, and, uh, you know, it's a struggle, you know, for me to miss a meal. And uh, y'all, y'all knew what I looked like before, and I didn't miss very many, obviously. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jesus is there, and uh, can you imagine the, temp- the first temptation that he has is, he is brought uh, from Satan? If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But the first thing that Satan tempts Jesus with is indulgence. Indulge your appetite. You know, get you some food, Jesus. And Jesus responds with Scripture. We'll see that. We'll talk about that in a moment. So indulgence is the first temptation. And then he takes him up uh, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Uh, you know, Satan has free reign on this earth. Um, he doesn't have unlimited power. Only God has unlimited power. But God allows him, for only, the only, whatever, whatever reason God knows... Uh, allows him some freedom to operate in this earth. And, uh, and so he's got this power, these kingdoms that he's over in the world. And he says to Jesus that he will give the kingdom and all their glory to you, Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me. And, of course, he is asking Jesus to engage in rebellion against his father. Treason against the kingdom of God, disloyalty to the Lord. That's what he's calling Jesus to do. And then the third thing that, Je- that Satan brings to Jesus is he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, a very large, tall building, and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from him, from here. So in essence, he's asking him to, to jump off a building, so to commit suicide, to kill himself. And Satan kind of cleverly quotes some scripture himself. He quotes Psalm 91 in reference to Jesus. So there's a pattern here. Indulge yourself, commit treason against God, rebel against God, and kill yourself. The scriptures tell us that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and that's what he's trying to do here. Well, as I thought about this verse, it took me back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. And and the same pattern is what you see in uh, the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve were forbidden from eating eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could eat in any of the trees, except the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge... Well, the tree that they could eat, the tree, they could not eat of that one tree in the garden. They had all these other trees that they could eat from, but not that one. And the serpent... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So first of all, Satan comes along and he encourages them to indulge in the fruit of the forbidden tree. So there's the indulgence factor. And then he encouraged them to be disloyal to God, to rebel against God. You'll not surely die. God's just withholding something from you. He, he knows that if you eat it, it's going to be really good for you. Basically, says, Satan says that God is a liar and you can't trust him. Therefore, you should rebel against him and do what is forbidden by him. It's treason against God. And in doing all this, He's really asking them to commit suicide to, to, because when they ate that forbidden fruit, death entered the world. If they would have gone on and not eaten the forbidden fruit, they would have lived forever there in the Garden of Eden. But they chose unwisely. They listened to Satan. They indulged. They were disloyal to God. And in doing so, death entered the world. They didn't immediately die, but they spiritually died and they became subject to bondage. They were in bondage to decay. They they grew old and they died eventually. Now note that Satan has not changed his tactics. This pattern is as old as, as life on the earth and it is the same today. Every sin that we are tempted to commit, whether it's a sin of omission or commission, is an indulgence of the flesh, which when we say flesh, it's our sinful nature. It's an indulgence of our sinful nature. It's an act of rebellion against God because we are either doing what God has forbidden or refusing to do what he has commanded. And it is spiritual and ultimately physical death because as Paul said in Romans 3, the wages for sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Now, as you face your own particular temptations, I want you to remember that. Think about that. Think about that. Think think when you are struggling with that temptation. Just think, if I indulge in this sin, then I'm not trusting God, but I am rebelling against God, against the God who is good to me, who has my best interest at heart, who loves me. He's not out to withhold anything from me, like Satan says. He wants to bless me with life. And if if I rebel against him and indulge this temptation, then I am forfeiting spiritual life and health. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So that's the pattern we want to see there. But notice how Jesus responds to temptation. It's something to be learned there. He quotes scripture. He quotes, Specifically, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. First, Deuteronomy 8, and then a couple of verses in Deuteronomy 6. And the first thing that he quotes when Satan tempts him to turn the, the stones into bread is, man shall not live by bread alone. And Matthew gives you the full quotation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And in context, if you look at Deuteronomy and the whole, uh, the whole paragraph there, uh, Moses is explaining why they, the children of Israel wandered in the desert on the Exodus and they ate the manna there. He says, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. So here is Jesus in the desert He's gone without food, just like the children of Israel on the Exodus, and he knows that man does not live by bread alone, but by God's word. Isn't it interesting that even as he is quoting that scripture, he's living it out because every time Satan tempts him with something, he goes to the word. He continuously relies upon the things that God has said in the Bible. He trusts God's word. So he says that to begin with. And then he says... To the second temptation, to bow down and worship Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve, Deuteronomy 8. And then finally, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test when he is tempted to, to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. That's Deuteronomy 6. And interestingly, Satan, in that last temptation, he quotes from Psalm 91 that says, if you put that in context, Psalm 91 says those who dwell in the Lord those who abide in the Lord well you, you, uh, he will command his his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike a foot against a stone so guardian angels are promised there to those who abide in the Lord who trust in the Lord well by jumping off the temple he, he's doing he's putting the God to a foolish test and he's no longer trusting in the Lord he's he's being foolhardy he's doing something stupid and he wouldn't be under that protection promised in psalm 91 so you see there how satan uses scripture he always you know and we're we do this sometimes we take scriptures and and uh, we use it to justify ourselves and our sinful behavior sometimes and the the way that you can figure out that is does my use, does my action or inaction and in my use of Scripture in justifying my action or inaction in, in re- response to this temptation, does it bring me closer to the Lord or further away from the Lord? Am I serving a, a selfish desire or am I serving the Lord in this? You'll notice every time Jesus quotes Scripture, it's God-centered. You know, You will live by God's Word you will serve only God. You will not put the Lord to the test. So Jesus is completely focused on his Father and that relationship he has with God. And those scriptures are encouraging him in that faithfulness to the Lord. Satan's quotes, quotation of scripture, he's trying to get you to be selfish. Well, let's put the Lord to the test. Let's, let's, uh, let me show off here a little bit. Let me, let me get something from the Lord for my own selfish interest. And, of course, Jesus refuses to do that. So when we come to those temptations, rest in the scriptures, but but remain God-centered in it, not self-centered. That's what Jesus did. He was God-centered in it. Now, finally, the victory over Jesus' temptation, and this is the most important part. In, the, in baptism, I didn't say this, but it is in our book of church order. It talks about uh, how children are federally holy before the Lord, by virtue of being part of a of a a, a a Christian family, our children federally are part of that family, that Christian family, and part of the church. It's a we talk about our federal government. It's a representative government. That's federal. Federal comes from the the uh, word for head. Federal. Well. We talked about Adam being tempted in the Garden of Eden, Adam in particular, and then Jesus being tempted. Two parallel temptations. And here we have Adam. The Bible tells us that he was the head of the human race. And and when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, death entered the world, sin entered the world, and all the brokenness that comes from sin entered the world because he is the representative of the human race. And so that's why we all, from Adam, inherit a sin nature. So when Adam, as representative of the human race, ate that forbidden fruit, we all sinned in him and with him. That's what our confession says. We sinned in him, he was our representative, and with him. It's our sin as well. And so now all the sins that we commit flow from that original sin that we have in us. Jesus came to do what Adam failed to do. So that's what's happening here at the temptation of Jesus. So you see the pattern, the same pattern. Adam failed on every point. He indulged the flesh, he committed treason against God, and he brought spiritual death upon the world. Jesus came and he did not indulge his flesh. He was faithful to the Lord and he brings life to all who unite to him by faith the thief came to steal and kill and destroy he came to bring us abundant life and that's what he did Paul talks about this in two places Romans 5 he says death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. He was a type of the one who was to come. He was like Jesus in that he represented a group of people, the human race. He goes on. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift... By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, particularly the cross, when Jesus obeyed, the, obeyed his Father to go to the cross for us, that one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one, one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous and we will have life eternal. 1 Corinthians 15. As by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So that's the question for us today by birth we are all in Adam united to him as human beings with a sin nature by faith we can be united to Christ and all the benefits of Christ flow to us life abundant where are you today that's the question are you in Adam alone or are you in Christ that's what these sacraments point to the sacrament of baptism we're, we're talking about being in Christ, raising a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, teaching her to follow this one who is the source of all abundant life. And as we come to the table today, the the the, the sacrament that Jesus has instituted, we come uh, as his people. That's who's invited to the table. Not just everybody. We'll fence the table, as we call it, fencing the table. We'll put a little hedge around it and say, Everyone's invited that is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who is putting their faith in Jesus. You're invited to come because you are part of that family. You are in Christ. You're not united to him. And by being part of his table and his meal, you're invited into fellowship with him. That's what that table's about. So are you in Adam or in Christ? Are you united to Christ by faith? Turn from your sin and cling to him, and life will flow to you forever and ever. Remain in Adam, and you get the results of his sin, eternal death. Seems to me the choice is easy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to learn and to grow in our faith. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be strengthened in that faith, in our, in our love for you, our commitment to you, because your commitment to us is perfect. It is complete and total. You gave everything to save a people for yourself, Lord. We see that in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We we rehearse your broken body and your shed blood on behalf. You gave everything, your entire life, for sinners such as we are so that we might know abundant life. Lord, we pray that that would be impressed upon us today in the table. And we pray, Lord, that we would continue to feed upon Christ by faith in our hearts, that we might walk closely in that deep fellowship, that covenant relationship with you. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.